0: This is U.S. Army. Closer Look. I think the job is pretty awesome. Innovating. Insight. Soldiers. Soldiers. Mission. Closer Look. Closer Look. Those who were there. Uh, and what we need to make sure is we have the most capable army to deliver specific effects on a battlefield relative to U.S. national security interests. Those experiences. Those strategies. Closer Look. Closer Look. Army Media. James C. McLuhan, Vietnam veteran, Medal of Honor recipient for his courageous actions as a combat medic during the Vietnam War, describes the battle. Well, first of all, on the early morning of May the 12th, our company was on LZ Center guarding it. At the north end, sappers came up there and they wounded 24 and killed four people literally obliviated a bunker down there and that that's where the artillery unit was down there at that end. And so I rushed down there in the early morning of the 12th, May the 12th, and um, I just recently have been recontacted by two of the guys that I saved on May the 12th down there. One went through 51 operations after I sent him off in helicopter, but he told me what I had done that evening early morning I should say it was uh, saved his life that's kind of good to hear so morning light comes and I get a little sleep because I've been up most of the night patching up people down at the other end and I I find out in the evening that we're gonna go in com, be combat assaulted into Tam key and uh, be a blocking force for Nguyen Hill for a a track unit that's gonna come over the top and flush out some NVA and VC. Well, Lieutenant Carrier, who later became Captain Carrier, and this was his second tour in Vietnam. He had been over there once before. Um, He was 17 when he came over the first time, lied about his age turned 21 the day after he got his captain bars. He had been called into a session with the battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel John Brandenburg, and he was told that he was gonna take Company C into Tamke and do this mission that I just described, be a blocking force. He said, I think this is a flawed mission. Brandenburg says, what do you mean? He says, well, you haven't sent any forward observers in there, have you? No. He says, well, then, you don't know how many are in there, and my company's down to 89 men. We had lost some men, and some men had D roast and we hadn't gotten pumped back up to the, the right number, and the right number is around 130, 135. In World War II, by the way, the company was about 180. And, um, <clears throat> but if you could keep 135, 140 in Vietnam, you were lucky. So he says, well, you're gonna take him in or we're gonna court-martial you. Well, he knew if he didn't take us in, he'd get court-martialed and they'd send somebody else with us, to take us in. So I'm glad he made the decision to stay with us and take us in anyway, even though he knew this was, was not good. So in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, Helicopters come to pick us up. We've, we've tried to figure it out. There, there must have been 13, 14 helicopters with seven on one, and that's too many. It was seven on several, I should say, and then six on all of the others. We kind of did the mathematical thing and figured that's what it was, about 14, 13, or 14 choppers. Combat assaulted us into the area near the base of Nguyen Hill. Well, it was a hot LZ, which means that the minute that we got there, we were fired upon, which also means when you come into a hot LZ that those helicopters are not gonna land and have you jump off. They're gonna tell you to jump off from a pretty high up height. And I'm estimating that it was between 10 and eight feet. And when you jump out with a full pack, 10 to eight feet, what we had was a few injured people, which I'll kind of talk about later on. So we jump out, and we're being shot at, of course, because they shot down one helicopter, and they brought in, an, I don't know if it was one of the helicopters that led some of the guys off, that went down and picked the, that crew up, but another one is shot down, and they couldn't get to them, so we sent a squad out to protect them in this. Big culvert. It was, it was a place that had been bombed out, and they kind of got, got in there, and the squad surrounded them and protected them. Well, they tried to get a helicopter in to take them out. Well, they couldn't get anybody in. They were being fired upon so, so heavily that nobody could land and, and get them out. So they ordered them, and I'm estimating they were out there about 200 meters. They ordered the squad to bring the crew in and that we'll bring in helicopters up here and and get them out from up here. So they started coming in and I could see at quite a distance behind them, and I'm gonna estimate 100 to 75 yards, um, there was a North Vietnamese unit online coming at them, trying to pick them off. Well, I also noticed there was one guy lagging behind I would later learn that his name is, is Bill Arnold. And he's lagging behind and he's actually even using his M16 for a crutch. When the squad and, the, and they also have the crew with them, when they get in behind the perimeter, and you know we're trying to protect them as best we can shooting at the enemy, I realized this guy's still out there 75 yards and he falls down, I mean, he goes down. And I just reacted the way Jim McLuhan reacts, and I'm the medic. I jumped up, I weaved and sprinted through the fire and slid in next to him like I was sliding into second base. And I said, are you hit anywhere? No, he said, I'm not hit anywhere, he said, but I hurt my knee jumping on a helicopter. We've been out there most of the afternoon in that heat and that and my, my knee is just swollen and I can not hardly even walk on it. And I said, well, you hang on to your M16 because you're going up on my shoulders. So I threw him up fireman style and weaved his, my way into the, through the crossfire. And they're doing a good job of missing us at this end, but they're trying to hit us. The NVA and that are trying to hit us from the, the back end. And I got him in and I dusted him off. And um, he uh, he never saw the battle. So it, his, his knee being injured, jumping out of the helicopter became a blessing in disguise for him, although he didn't realize it at the time. And Jim McLuhan going out and dragging him in, he would have either been captured or killed because they had gotten close enough to do that. He wasn't going to move from that spot. So the day goes by, and I have a few heat casualties. That that North Vietnamese unit—they left, of course. They're not going to attack our, a whole company. they had done their job, and um, I'm going around getting some of the guys that were injured uh, taped up and that kind of thing. And and we actually could get helicopters in and get them out. I'm not. I had something to eat and drink just before we combat assaulted off of the hill at LZ Center that morning and I still haven't had anything to eat or drink all day and 4 o'clock in the afternoon rolls around. I hear we're going to go out, we've been ordered, Clark has been told by Lieutenant Carrier that we're supposed to send a squad or a platoon out and check out the area. And I'm thinking, are these people nuts? We've had, we came into a hot LZ. We know there's enough out there that, you know, we could get hurt sending a platoon out there. They had two helicopters shot down and they couldn't even get another helicopter in there to rescue some of the crew. Nope, they meant it. Well, here we had a problem. The guy that would usually carry the, the radio was dusted off with a uh, heat exhaustion, big man, um, he was helicoptered into the 312th in the afternoon with heat exhaustion. So now the guy that was gonna walk point has to carry the radio and the guy that's gonna walk point hasn't even been there a month. Well you can't put him on the radio because he hadn't been there a month, and that radio was pretty important for communication, so that's what they had to do. Lieutenant Clark, our platoon leader, wasn't happy about that, but not much he could do about it. So we're strung out going across this rice paddy. We're not in contact with anybody yet. We're trying to feel our way across. and We get into a trench line that I'm sure was dug by the French many years ago. We're going along, and it's kind of brushy, brushy area. So you're not sticking up like a sore thumb, but you're still not very well protected, and and uh, you you can't hide too well. And by this time, we don't know it, but they know we're coming, and they see us coming, and they've already set up an ambush for us. I get in the trench line, and I'm behind the first squad, but I. Usually I'm in the middle of the whole platoon, but I placed myself behind the first squad because I figure if anything happens, I want to be close enough that I don't have to come from the middle of the pack. By the time that the front front of this uh, platoon which or the lead squad had made a right turn in this uh, trench line and round, we're coming just into the trench line by a huge berm type of thing. And I look up and there's two NVA's quite a distance from me, I'll say over 100 yards from me, stringing out bob wire. So they're setting up some things there too at the base of the hill. Only the base of the hill is quite a ways away yet. And I see these little people coming down off the hill, bunches of them. And so I pointed at those two and got Hatton and Mittendorf's attention, I I pointed at the guy on the left and I pointed at myself, meaning I was going to get him and somebody else get him. So when I plugged him and they started firing and they got the other guy, all hell broke out up front. The front squad is now hit with the ambush. So we get into the trench line and and get close to the right angle where they had gone around and hit the ambush. There was three trees growing together. And I said to Sergeant Hatton, I said, I'm going to go over there by those trees, and I'm going to pick some of those people off that are in that ambush. No, Doc, you don't go over there, he said to me. And I said, come on, come on, Hat. And you know, I'm becoming quite a fighting man. I know what I'm doing. I think if I get over there by that tree, that um, you'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to see some people and I can pick them off. Don't go over there. I mean, just, just like I just said it, don't go over there. <laughs> Less than 15 seconds later, now we have no grenades for smoke to throw out. We're amongst the enemy, but the people coming overhead don't know that. They don't know where we're at. They don't, they don't know we're right there in the same vicinity. So I hear this sound of the helicopter coming in and I look up and a cobra is, I'm not kidding you, he is just overhead and he takes and he spins And he points that nose down and he fired and that tree went into toothpicks. And I looked at Sergeant Hatton and he looked at me just like, I told you so, don't go over there. Now I'm realizing a split second realization that, no Jim, you're not Sergeant Hatton yet. Listen to what he has to say so i hear some commotion and i look up, i kind of look up out of the trench line you if you stood up high enough you could look up out of the trench line i looked up on top of the berm and over by some bushes were two guys laying there which i would learn learn later was um a guy by the name of john folger and a guy by the name of larry aiken and i get over to them and just as I get to them, I hear this ungodly explosion. Well, it was an RPG that exploded nearby me and just pelted me from head to foot. I felt it, I mean, I felt a sting of it, but with the adrenaline flowing, knowing that here's two guys, let's get going here, we gotta take care of them, what are you gonna do now? I got down next to them and I said, you guys hit. Oh, I hit but they, you could tell they were scared. They had no weapons, they'd left their weapons out there where the ambush had hit. And I don't know how they got away from that ambush and up in this area, but they did. Now Aiken's about 215 pounds and Folger's about 185 pounds. And I drugged the two of them across the top of that berm and into that trench line. I had handed my weapon to Hatton before I jumped on there and I looked around and Hatton and Mintendorf were gone. Well, what I didn't realize was the, the that ambush is starting to come in from around that right angle and they're starting to come around and see who, who is this in the trench line. But I looked up on the berm and less, about 10 meters away, there's two NBA looking at me just like I'm looking at you. Only they got AK-47s in their, their hands and I, I had given my weapon up and Folger and Aiken, they don't have any weapons either, and I said gentlemen, follow me. And I turned and I sprinted down that trench line and then I realized this is slowing me up so I I got out into the open because I could run faster and I'm weaving and literally could hear and see the bullets skipping off the ground. They're firing at me. Listen to part two of the battle on Closer Look. Hear what happens to McLuhan and his team that earned him the Medal of Honor. This is U.S. Army. Closer Look. I think the job is pretty awesome. Innovating. Insight. Soldiers. Soldiers. Mission. Closer Look. Closer Look. Those who were there. Uh, And what we need to make sure is we have the most capable Army to deliver specific effects on a battlefield relative to U.S. national security interests. Those experiences. Those strategies. Closer Look. Closer Look. Army Media.